What is going on, everybody? Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. That's right. We are back again on the Sports Card Show program, and it's great to be here. But before I get into everything, what I want to do is make you aware of another podcast that hasn't been around all that long, so you may not be aware of it. And it's called the Wax Museum Podcast. So go ahead and hit pause on this one. Search if you're in iTunes or whatever you're listening to this on. See if you can't find it. It's again called the Wax Museum Podcast. It's a podcast I've been uh, listening to uh, just the last couple of days, especially. I've been doing some work around my house, so I kind of wanted uh, to let you guys know about all that. Again, this guy didn't pay me. He uh, didn't ask me to say this. He certainly didn't send me a check. Although uh, anybody can send me a check anytime they want. You know, I got two kids, a, a mortgage and a, a, a car out front that uh, needs paying for. So anytime you guys want to send me a check, I'm more than willing to accept one. But uh, that's not the case here. Um, just a, a podcast that I've enjoyed listening to. And you're more than welcome to pause this one. And I think he's got 30 some odd episodes. You can binge listen if you want and then come back to this one because uh, we've got a couple topics for you today. So just wanted to mention that before we get into things. Now on to what we're going to be talking about on today's program. Uh, one thing I, I've been watching a lot of NFL football is like I'm sure a lot of you guys have been list, uh, watching as well. One thing I've noticed is a lot of quarterbacks have gotten hurt. And quite frankly, the, the hobby kind of revolves around the quarterback. You know, our Saquon, Saquon Barkley's hurt, but you know, our running back cards, Ezekiel Elliott, and those kind of guys are they valuable? Yeah, they they have some value, obviously. Um, but the the you know the industry revolves around the quarterback, really. Um, and a lot of them have gotten hurt. Now you know Dak Prescott's having a really good year; he's not hurt. Aaron Rodgers isn't hurt. All you guys that are fans of these guys should probably be knocking on wood. Uh, Tom Brady's not hurt, and uh, Patrick Mahomes is not hurt. But a lot of other guys have gotten hurt, and and some of them for for an extended period of time. So talk about, just briefly about that. Did DA Cardworld scam me out of nearly $600 and five boxes of top series two jumbo baseball? Did they scam me? I'll tell you if they did or not. I made a trip to Southern Hobby. I was looking through my receipts, kind of looking for ways like, how can I make more money without actually having to do a whole lot more? You guys know that's kind of my uh, modus operandi or whatever it's called. Um, and I was looking through the receipts and I was paying a good amount of money for shipping sometimes. Sometimes when you when you ship supplies and things like that, they kind of have to sh- uh, charge you shipping um, based on, I think it's kind of a margin thing. They don't make as much money or whatever. Those things tend to be a little bit heavier. So I was looking at it and I was like, wow, I could literally drive to Reno, stay the night in South Lake Tahoe. Reno's all right, but South Lake Tahoe's nicer. And so and it's only about an hour away or 45 minutes or so. So stay the night in South Lake, go to Reno, pick up the stuff and drive back. So I was thinking like, gosh, I think I could do that for the cost of some of this shipping. Um, so especially because I have status at a, a, a safe, uh, South Lake Tahoe hotel or a casino there. So did that. So I'll give you a quick update on that. The other thing I did is I'm getting ready. I think I talked about it, this on the last show. I'm getting ready to buy baseball prospects. Uh, you know, in particular guys that are going to come up 
right away. I'm not into like holding a guy for a year, maybe a year, but not not really into that. I don't want to tie my, I don't see any reason to tie my money up for two, three, four years. Do the cards go up? Is it a strategy that could work? Of course. And if you're making it work for you, I'm not telling you to stop. But for me personally, I just like buying a guy that's going to be in spring training that may have an opportunity to make the team or whatever. And so I'm, I'm locating and kind of identifying is a better word, uh, these prospects that I think that are going to go up. And one thing that I wanted to look at was like, what's the upside? Because one thing I noticed, I just did a brief search. I had a list of maybe 10 guys I was going to look at. And I noticed like some of their base Bowman's, and that's kind of what I'm after, base Bowman Chrome uh, rookie cards, you know, in general, that's kind of, you know, and the refractors and the, you know, stuff like that. I'm not really doing the autographs. If you have the budget to do that, you know, certainly I think there's upside there. Uh, uh, for me, I like the low, as you guys know, I like the lower end cards. It's an easier sell. It's less risk. And you can, you know, you can buy a lot of them. And I like to spread my money out kind of wide and deep. I get not necessarily deep, but kind of wide and shallow is probably a better term. So I was looking at it and some of these guys sell for like, I mean, some of these guys are like in double A and their base Bowman Chrome is worth several dollars, which is uh, definitely a trend that has picked up uh, in the last couple years. And some of these guys aren't the top prospect. I can understand like uh, Wander Franco or whatever. Yeah, everybody's after him. Everybody sees him as the top prospect. I can see his cards being worth a lot, but some of these guys down the line are like 20 three years old and and their cards are worth a lot as if they're in the majors hitting home runs. So what I wanted to do was look at, Hey, what's Pete Alonzo's Bowman base Bowman worth? What's Aaron judges worth? What's Ronald Acuna's worth? What's Juan Soto's worth? What's Cody Bellinger's worth? What's Alec Bregman's worth? And so I went through and kind of looked at them because I kind of feel like, okay, here are the guys that hit 40 or 50 home runs this year or had really good seasons or have, you know, a really good fan base behind them. What are their cards worth? What's my upside? And I think that'll give me a, a clearer picture onto who I can collect in the future. So we'll talk about that. Then I have some listener questions, some from Facebook, some I think from Twitter, and then some from Instagram. So we'll talk about that. That should be towards the end. Now, right in the beginning, I have to talk about the meltdown, quote unquote, CEO Brian Gray of Leaf Trading Cards had today on Twitter. Now, today started out like a normal day for me, waking up, feeding my kids, uh, planning the day. My wife works a couple days a week. She had the day off, which is great. So we're going to, you know, we're planning, we got to go, we got to go to Target, we got to go to Home Depot, we got to find, we're, we're making some curtains in a couple different rooms, or my wife is making some curtains. So we needed the fabric and all that. So we're going to go out and do all that. And I, my Twitter just starts blowing up. I'm like, what the heck? You know, what did I do? You know what I mean? Here I am minding my, we're going to go to the pumpkin patch. Here I am trying to be a good dad and my Twitter's blowing up. Check it out. Uh, the Wax Heaven, Mario, who had a, uh, had a blog, uh, you know, several years ago that was wildly popular. One I remember reading when I had a trading, I remember having a trading card shop and reading it. And, uh, he was on there and he acknowledged that, hey, it's been a couple months since this tr- uh, trimming stuff has kind of happened. And I don't want to say that it's blown over, 
but we certainly haven't had any uh, new developments, I think, is, uh, or any really sensationally new developments. And I wouldn't say that's too uncommon with any kind of new story. If you look at, I mean, with Trump, they're literally tripping every 10 minutes with this guy. Uh, so that might not be a good example. But, um, you know, there's a lot of stories that tend to peak and then fade. And I think the, or flatline is probably a better term. And I think that's where we're at with the trimming scandal. And then I saw the quarter, and we talked about this, I think, on the last show. I saw the quarter that PSA put up. They literally put up the best quarter ever for uh, grading cards. And on top of that, they had the biggest backlog in the history of the company. And it's, you know, I only attribute it to one thing, and that is collector greed. You guys literally do not care if people are trimming cards or if PSA sucks at grading or any of that, if it if your card can go up a nickel by sending it in and getting it graded, you're going to send it in. If you can get $10 more for your card by sending it to PWCC, you're going to send it to the guy. That I mean, that's all it is. That's, I mean, th- that's, it, I think, explains it all. Now, are we going to have more ramifications from the trimming? Is more stuff coming down the pike? Gosh, I don't know. If I could predict that, I, I probably should focus on predicting other things and, and actually make money at it. So, you know, we'll see where the story ends up. But, uh, you know, uh, Mario kind of acknowledged on Twitter that, hey, you know, if it wasn't for Blowout, if it wasn't for Sports Card Radio, and look, there's been other people out there. I think, um, you know, our intention uh, on this program and on the website was really just to bring awareness to you. And hey, if other people that um, have a YouTube channel, I've seen some YouTube videos on the subject, if you have an Instagram page or whatever, and you want to talk about it and bring awareness to uh, to that, I think that's great. And if one person did that because they read our website or listened to our podcast, look, that's great. And I feel like, uh, you know, if one collector, two collectors, or hundreds of collectors out there saved a little money or at the very least decided to do a little bit more due diligence before they paid a a fair amount of money for a trading card, then that's great. I think that what we did on the program is, is great. But look, you know, I, I've got two kids. I don't make any money from this podcast. I don't make any money from sportscardradio.com. None of that money flows to my bank account. And last time I checked, none of it has flowed. The bank account that it flows to doesn't have my name on it, and I don't have access for it. Now, could I get a couple hundred dollars from it uh, every month or maybe $1,000? Certainly, guys. But look, I got two kids. I got a mortgage. I got a car. A couple hundred dollars here or there is really not going to swing the needle for me. Quite frankly, I've got other projects and other things I'm doing in my life that um, are worth thousands of dollars a month. And that's really the only thing that's going to pique my interest. On top of that, I'd have to self-report that income uh, to the IRS and all this other stuff. And quite frankly, uh, just getting on here and doing this podcast for free, really actually pay money to, to record this podcast. If you count the time that I'm wasting here, and among other things, I'm really here just to communicate with the community. And we've been doing it for 11 years. We're the most listened to, highest downloaded, uh, most talked about, most uh, threatened to sue, everything. The Sports Card Show program has influenced and entertained thousands upon thousands within this hobby. And we will continue to do so over the you know, foreseeable future. 
So uh, today on Twitter, Mario started with that. And for some reason, uh, Brian Gray took offense to that. I think because you have the whole Joe Clemens things that still hasn't been resolved. I'll remind you that the, the employees of Leaf Trading Cards, this is a fact as well, because we know that Brian Gray had to change a quote unquote company policy to not allow, I think, employees get trading cards, or I don't know what he did with change the policy. Although if you go to check out my cards, if you want a little bit of entertainment, go to check out my cards and search for the 2019 Leaf promo cards that were handed out at the National. And just go look at all the low the, the low serial numbers uh, cards, the ones out of 10, the ones out of 7, the ones out of 5 or whatever, and just go look. That one seller seems to have them all. So either Brian Gray has an incredible customer that he hooked up with all the cards possible, or maybe this guy bought all these cards off other people, although the data at Check On My Cards doesn't seem to indicate that. But somehow some guy on Check On My Cards is selling pretty much all the national 2019 national low-numbered parallels that were supposed to be a quote-unquote promo for Leaf. So I'll let you guys figure out what's going on there. Although Brian Gray did say he changed the policy over at the company that employees weren't supposed to do that. But, you know, maybe maybe uh, it's just a coincidence this one seller is selling all the cards. Again, I'll let you guys decide that. So, um, and Brian has often and quite frequently said that he was gonna, he's going to sue me, that Panini should sue me. Uh, he was on Twitter just a couple months ago saying Panini was going to sue me or thinking about suing me about saying Luka Doncic cards, autograph cards were fake or signed by his mom or whatever. And it's like, I'm, I'm sick and tired of it. Either sue me or don't, okay? I don't have time anymore to have these long banters on Twitter. In fact, I set myself a 15-minute limit on Twitter, in part because of politics, because it just sucks up, you know, there's so much oxygen that Donald Trump sucks up on that site that it's kind of entertaining to watch. But look, I, I got two kids. I got, you know, I got things to do. So I set a 15-minute limit on Twitter. Some days, you know, you kind of have to go over, and today was one of those days, but I try not to do that. And Brian Gray, again, a couple months ago, was threatened to uh, said he was going to sue me. He and I had a private conversation on Facebook where I asked him the simple question, hey, what does Joe Clemens do for your company? And he wouldn't answer the question. He answered every other question except for that one. So it, it makes me believe there's something fishy going on. I don't trust him. Quite frankly, I don't trust anybody in this industry. And I think he's a fraud. I think he's a clown. And I got tired of him on, uh, you know, saying on Twitter, hey, I, I, you know, I hide behind a microphone. I hide behind, you know, paraphrasing my phrases. No, I'll tell you guys straight up. Brian Gray's a clown. He's broke. His products suck. His employees got valuable cards to resell. That's a, that's a stone cold fact. He gets preferential grades from BGS. Good God, we, there were several people, just a couple, Brett and Becca, I think, was on Twitter saying that this was a fact. Okay, this is a fact. The more cards you send in to Beckett, the more cards you send to PSA, guess what? The better they treat you, the better grades you get. When they only have guys spending a few minutes on each card, yeah, of course, they're going to take care of people better than others. 
And I think Brian Gray is a fraud. I think he gets on Twitter and says, I want open discussion. I want to, to help the hobby. I'm here to help the hobby. He's full of shit, guys. And in fact, he went through after his latest tirade on Twitter where he attacked customers. Not just me. I don't care. Look, I got a thick skin. I'm not going to buy a Leaf card if you pay me to buy it. Certainly wouldn't buy any of their boxes or any of their product, even if he sent it to me for free. Okay, it'd be sitting with all the other Topps products. I buy Topps products and I don't even open it. It's sitting in my closet unopened for months, almost half the year now. I think I've got Ginter, the oldest product I think I have. I still have like four or five boxes of Ginter that I, that I haven't figured out what I'm going to do with yet. So I think this guy is a clown. I think he's broke. I think he's losing it. I think he's stressed out for sure. And he's taking his anger out on me and other collectors. And look, hey, that, that's what, you know, if, if that's your therapy, if that's what you want to do on Twitter, I got no problem with that. But here's a message for all of you guys out there. If you guys want to sue me, if you guys have a problem with what I say, stop talking about how you're going to sue me. Stop talking about how much it bothers you and just send the lawsuit over, guys. Quite frankly, I don't think Brian Gray could fit through the door of an airplane to fly out to California to meet me at, at a courthouse. And if you guys think I wouldn't say this to your face, fly out. to You can actually connect to Vegas. Actually fly to Vegas. Stay a night at a nice hotel. Again, I know most of you, when I went to the Industry Summit when it was in Vegas, none of you guys stayed at what I would consider a nice hotel in Las Vegas. You guys all stayed at the Orleans or I'm sure the, I think the Industry Summit was just a few weeks ago. And you guys all stayed at the Bootsy Little Hotel that's off strip. Guaranteed, none of you guys stayed at the Cosmopolitan or the Aria or the Vidara, let alone one of the top floors there. You guys can fly into Vegas, stay a night or two, however long you want, and then you can connect a direct flight through Allegiant Airlines to Stockton, California. And it actually drops you off right in the ghetto. Believe it or not, the airport in Stockton is in the ghetto. Take a walk or get an Uber, whatever you feel like doing, and drive over to Martin Luther King Boulevard. I'll meet you guys there at, I'll tell you guys, I'll be there at three. I'll be a little bit late. Look, I got things to do. I don't live in Stockton anymore either. I'll be a little bit late. By the time I get there, you'll have been mugged. You'll have been raped. You might've been shot. You might've been kidnapped. All of the above might've happened because trust me, a guy flying over from Texas, a guy flying over from Iowa, a guy flying from some shithole state is going to stick out like a sore thumb in the south side of Stockton, California. I'll literally be chilling with the homies down the street, probably smoking a blunt with them, and I'll be able to walk down the street. I'll probably know the homie that tried to mug you for your $4 in your wallet. I'll probably know the homie that tried to kidnap you at gunpoint. Probably went to high school with them. (laughs) 
but I'm being serious. If you guys want me to tell you, I had several people on Twitter tell me this today. If you guys want me to tell you in your face that collecting card pictures of men is rather pathetic, being a quote unquote of a, the CEO of a company that one, you bought out of bankruptcy. Number two, you don't have a COO, a CFO. You don't have any executive that reports to you. Quite frankly, anybody that calls themselves a CEO, I think is a clown, a fraud, an idiot, and shouldn't be trusted. And Mike Smith, the quote-unquote CEO of Cardboard Connection, is ground zero, uh, example number one of that. Any, any, anybody that calls themselves the CEO of something in the card business is a fucking moron, shouldn't be trusted, is a fraud, and is a piece of shit, period. If you're quote-unquote the CEO of a breaking company, if you're the quote-unquote CEO of a card shop, if you're the quote CEO of anything in this industry, you're a fraud, you're a moron, you're an idiot. Period. And if you want me to tell you that to your face, I'm more than willing to. I've outlined my terms to tell you that to your face. So if it's that important to you, make your way to Stockton, California. Make your way to Martin Luther King Boulevard, and I'll show up when I show up. And by the time I'll show up, I'll make sure I bring a box of Huggies with me that belong to my son because you guys will probably have peed your pants by then. I am from the streets. I can show you where I grew up. If any of you guys think what you do and what you say to me on an app, on a fucking website, intimidates me, you should have went to the schools I went to, should have grown up on the streets that I grew up on. In fact, you shouldn't have because you probably wouldn't have made it. You would have went back and cried to your mom Because it's rough out there, guys. If you're not a fucking man, you're going to get swallowed up. And that's what happens. But thankfully, I made it out clean. I'm one of the few that made it out and uh, made a success of my life. Okay? Bottom line. When I started this podcast 11 years ago, I was broke. And I told you I was. And all across the the line across the way, my life has continued to get better and better. And I've continued to strive at that. And for those of you that actually pay attention to the podcast and can look past a lot of the crazy stuff that I say, there's some good advice to be had on this program. Now, I don't expect Brian Gray or any of his little fondlers and minions to understand, which are getting less and less by the day. Quite frankly, if Brian Gray had said he wanted to sue me uh, maybe even six months ago on Twitter, let alone six years, I've been on the platform for 10 years. I mean, some of you guys used to go to work, clock in, clock out, and then come onto Twitter and carry Panini's water for free, 
Carrie Tops' water for free, Carrie Leafs and Brian Gray's water for free. You used to do it for BGS and you do it for PSA. And any number of other people used to do it for uh, group breakers and, and obvious people that were scamming the industry. Thankfully, some of that attitude and some of that has started to dry up. And you guys have actually opened your eyes and realized these guys are fucking clowns. I mean, Leaf doesn't have a license. They don't make the cards, okay? Let's be real, guys. None of these guys have a printing press. None of these guys are running, like, uh, logistics on paper and, and uh, you know, even logistics sending this stuff out. There's a third party that makes all this stuff, packs it all up, and ships it all out, period. These guys don't even sell. Go to Leaf's website. It looks like a website when the original Leaf was in business, like in the 90s. You can't buy cards from his website. You can't buy, I mean, literally, literally, Tops and Panini have just started selling direct to consumer just in the last few years. And that's been something brands have been doing for like 20 years. Sports card shops are dying across the country. And like, you can't sell this stuff on Amazon. The number one, you can't sell trading cards essentially on the number one platform, number one place to shop in the fucking United States. And if you go to kind of this Walmart and Target, you can't even get, uh, you know, hobby boxes or anything uh, like that. Okay, these companies are literally stuck like in the late 80s, early 90s. It's, it's unbelievable. If you go to one of these conferences, they literally talk about eBay like it's still the most innovative thing in the hobby. They barely talk about check on my cards. Nobody talks about Amazon. There is literally nobody in this industry except for me talking about selling stuff on Amazon. Let alone offer up a Facebook Twitter, Instagram. God, there's tons of people doing this these days. But go to a trading card event and it's, oh no, buy the stuff through your distributor. Get allocated. Okay. The distributor literally tells you how much you get. Like it's a fucking Rolex watch or a brand new Mercedes. I mean, these guys literally treat their product like it's this high-end shit. And, and, you know, but anyways. Brian Gray had a meltdown on Twitter. I helped facilitate it a little bit. Do I feel bad? Absolutely not. I've had communications with Brian for years. This guy has threatened to sue me for years. Years. He's even th- like threatened that another company was going to sue me. So he was carrying the water of a competitor. I mean, you can't even make this stuff up. So do I think he's a clown? Do I think he's a fraud? Do I think he's broke? Do I think his products suck? Do I think that he he gave cards to his employees and had them sell them? Absolutely. He even admitted that. Do I think he gets preferential grades through BGS, whether Joe Clemens works there or not? Absolutely he does. 
It's a circle jerk down in fucking Texas. Just Google all these guys' address. It's like a Bermuda fucking triangle. It's a circle fucking jerk of the same people. And if they stepped foot in California, they'd be at the poverty line, period. You guys would literally be at the poverty line. If you had to pay $4 for gas and, and 35% of your, your income came right off the top into Gavin Newsom's pocket. And oh, I didn't get into what houses cost or what to even is to park your car around here. You guys wouldn't make it where the big boys live and where the big boys play. So, I, I don't know how much more I have to say about this, but my feelings about Brian Gray translate to almost anybody trying to deal cards in this industry, quite frankly, from group breakers to just about everybody. The handful of people I respect and think are knowledgeable in this industry, I actually tell you about them. In fact, I led today's program off with somebody I thought, hey, I'm listening to this guy. I think he's knowledgeable. I think he's providing some good information. I think it's someone you should, should uh, you know, someone worth listening to. Okay, I don't do that very often. Quite frankly, in the stock market game, I wouldn't do that very often either, okay? Something as sophisticated and a much, much larger than trading cards is the stock market. Guys, everybody's a clown on CNBC. Everybody's a clown on Bloomberg. These, most of them have no idea what they're talking about. And in fact, if you did the opposite of what they said, you probably would have better results than following their advice. So it's not uncommon for me. It's not uncommon for me to see quote unquote CEOs and, and people that are in the industry and in the business to not think very highly of them. I don't think very highly of many people in the stock market. Don't think highly of very many opinions in the stock market. In fact, you know, I, I rarely rely on anybody's opinion. You can just open up the financial documents and read them yourself. Why do you need somebody else's opinion? And I'm sure there's lots of you listening that don't like me that are listening right now, that don't like what I say, that disagree with what I say, but you listen. And that's why we have the number one program, the most download, the most listened, the most talked about, and the most threatened lawsuits ever in the history of the hobby. It's because we bring it to you fresh, we bring it to you hard, and I, I'm authentic and I give you my honest opinion on here. Do I think Brian Gray is ever going to sue me? Again, guys, absolutely not. The guy can't even fit through the, the, the doors of an airplane to fly out here to file the lawsuit. The guy has his handfuls with depositions and all kinds of lawsuit stuff going on with Upper Deck. I think today he simply melted down. He let his frustrations out. And quite frankly, he did more damage to his brand, his reputation, his company than I ever have or I ever will.
And that again, that just shows you there are just so many low IQ people working in the sports card industry. And that's why I'm constantly on here talking about how I'm buying $2 cards, $1 cards. Because there's absolutely no reason to uh, buy a lot of this stuff. Because, you know, again, none of these guys make the cards. None of these guys actually care about the process of making cards. They don't market the cards very well. When have you seen a set that had, you know, really cool marketing and and like a marketing campaign behind it and like a creative way to market it? You don't see that. So, and on top of that, you're allocated all this stuff. Okay, literally you you call a distributor like, yeah, I want 12 boxes of Topps uh, Tribute. And then they call you back and say, well, you're going to get one. I mean, guys, this is why when you go to industry events, and I think some of you guys think I'm joking or I'm trying to flex. You go to industry events, they stay at the junkie hotel. Nobody in the room has a nice pair of pants on or a nice pair of shoes. God knows none of them have a nice watch on their wrist. None of them have a nice car. None of them are doing very well. That's because you guys are on this hamster wheel of selling the next product that you get two or three boxes of. And can you make money every once in a while? Sure. Right now, our time's pretty good and, and, and you know, guys may be feeling a little bit better about themselves. Sure. But then you guys bog yourself down with lawsuits and you infighting and Upper Deck versus Leaf, Panini versus whoever, Tops versus whoever. And the people that get rich are the leagues, are the distributors, and quite frankly, intelligent, maybe not even intelligent, but just blog owners that know how to capitalize on the traffic. Like I said, Sports Guard Radio over the years have had over a million visitors and has made over a million dollars. Our YouTube channel, over a million views. Okay, again, I follow, I, I, I'm probably like a lot of you, I watch YouTube videos that have 13 million views on one video, let alone over you know, a couple hundred. But look, you can make a lot of money off a million YouTube videos, uh, YouTube video views. So there are people making money in this industry. None of them are group breakers. None of them fondle the cards. The people that fondle the cards in this business don't make money, period. This is why they have to trim them and cut them, let alone come and threaten a blogger who doesn't make any money these days off trading cards. I make $0 and 0 cents of my income, and this is for several years now, off trading cards. I don't cash out of my check out my cards accounts, okay? I just buy more cards. So I don't have any of that money coming in. Do I occasionally, I'll take that back. I bought some Zion Williamson cards and flipped those, made a couple hundred bucks. Okay, I pre-order top stuff. 
Do I sell that? Not really, not for a huge profit. Again, you're allocated such a small amount that uh, it's not a big, big deal. But I bet if you went and tracked down the owner of Ultra Pro and Ultimate Guard and Pro Mold, and Beckett actually owns um, Dragon Shield, I think. And look, I just studied the financials of PSA. They make a lot of money. 90% of the United States economy is service-based, and that's where all the money is. The, 10%, the other 10% is in manufacturing. And quite frankly, those people don't make a lot of money. And that's where, even though Topps and, and Panini and, and Leaf and all these card makers, they don't, they don't make the cards. So I don't even know what they do. They don't really market the cards very well. They're basically just a licensee. They hold a license, or in Brian Gray's case, hold nothing. And that's why his business is so fragile. That's why you see him melt down over his business on Twitter, is because his business is very, very, very fragile. He doesn't hold a license. He doesn't make the cards. He doesn't have a website that makes any money. His social media feeds are, are not very well followed. He's not an influencer. This is why he has to, in the past, and I don't know if it's still the case, like I said, you can go to check out my cards and see evidence that, you know, somebody from the inside is getting a lot of these leaf cards and, uh, you know, putting them on check out my cards. So, you know, that's a way to make money. And I think that's kind of what they do there. And for some of you guys, this is a big business and this is amazing. Guys, you'd be on the poverty line out here in California. Okay, I don't care where you lived. So it doesn't impress me. And that's why you guys are clowns. You guys are frauds. You guys are idiots. And if you want to sue me, bring it on. That's the last point I want to make on this. If any of you guys have a problem with what I say on this program... File the lawsuit. Don't email it to me. Don't say you're going to do it. Don't, like Ripping Wax did, he wrote up, he had his attorney write up all these, you know, kind of legal looking documents, and then he emailed it to me. And guess what I did? I posted that shit on my website, talked a bunch of crap on him, and then emailed his attorney the links to go listen. There's not a court in this country that would give you guys the time of the day. But if you guys want to waste your time and money, by all means, go ahead and do that. And that's the last thing I'm going to say on that. And I think based on how Brian Gray is melting down, I think his days in this hobby are numbered as well. But wait for another time to see if that pans out. Now, let's jump right in. The NFL... Dude, the rookies, I was going to say, I actually have it written down here. This is before Daniel Jones got in this game. I also saw Minshew, I can't remember his first name, uh, the quarterback for the Jaguars. He got in for injury. Eli Manning just sucked, and so uh, Daniel Jones got in. There was maybe another quarter. There's a quarterback for Washington uh, that went to Ohio State. I don't think he's gotten in yet. A couple other guys. 
Um, but we don't really have an elite running back. I think there's a running back for the Raiders that's okay. Brandon Jacobs, I think, maybe is his name, or maybe that's an old Giants running back. Can't remember. But um, not a lot of excitement, quite frankly, out of this year's rookie. Now, I think Daniel Jones, from what I've seen, the New York Giants quarterback, Looks pretty good. Honestly, I think he actually is pretty good. He has a little bit of mobility. He can throw on the run. He can throw in the pocket. I mean, is he making mistakes and stuff like that? Yeah, but it actually, you know, it appears to me that the Giants made a nice move to trade. I don't know if they had to trade up as far as they did to get. I don't even know if they traded up to get him or not, but they drafted him higher than I think people thought he was going to go. But to me, it looks like not a bad decision. As a fan of the Bengals, do I wish they would have drafted somebody? I don't know if you guys saw that Monday night game, the Bengals versus the Steelers. Andy Dalton fucking sucks dick. God, that guy sucks. I mean, good Lord. But anyways, won't waste our time talking about him. Uh, Eli Manning is benched. Big Ben done for the year. Uh, Cam Newton's hurt. Andrew Luck quit. Or retired, however you want to look at. Sam Darnold must have been kissing some high schoolers. He's he's got mono. Okay, I don't know anybody that has had mono since high school. Okay, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but it's it's weird. He has mono. Drew Brees hurt. Trubisky, I don't know his status, but he boy, he, it looked really bad when he landed on his shoulder. Okay, there's probably a couple other guys. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven quarterbacks right there the the guy for the um the jaguars got hurt the guy that won the super bowl there's eight there's probably one or two more that's like a third of the league's quarterbacks have gotten hurt so for me that's why i was actually on the show uh the show before this one telling you guys football's kind of no touch for me now i would touch some of these quarterbacks and and kind of collect them but for me guys the nfl's just a no touch Okay, because you got Big Ben hurt, Cam Newton hurt, Andrew Luck's gone, Sam Darnold's, you know, kissing high schoolers, Drew Brees gone, Trubisky gone. It's a tough, tough, tough league. Okay, all the rule changes, all that stuff is still not, uh, you know, I mean, you can't even touch the quarterback and they're getting hurt. So for me, the NFL is just no touch. I'm not a fan of what I, here's probably the main point I'll bring to you. I wouldn't touch any of these NFL rookies all year. Just turn your brain off to the NFL for a year. Imagine if you had done that to, God, I can't even remember his name, the guy for the Texans, okay? Uh, You have uh, in the same year, I can't even remember these guys' names. Look at Jameis Winston and Mariota. Do anybody give a damn about those guys anymore? Okay, I know Winston has kind of had a renaissance a little bit this year, and I think he's actually a pretty good quarterback. But does anybody care about his rookie cards? Not really. Do guys, you know, does anybody care about, you know, Darnold's cards, I'm sure, have, have taken a dip. Baker Mayfield doesn't look like he's uh, Tom Brady anymore. Josh Rosen, God, I mean, he's had some, you know, he's had some, he's had some bad luck getting on some bad teams. Miami's even worse. Okay. I've watched a couple of his game. He looks okay. I think if he was on a good team, I don't think he'd be a world beater, but I think he'd be a, 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 an above average quarterback. A lot of drops in Miami. So I'm not sitting here trying to be a, an excuse maker for him. I'm just letting you know. Uh, the Josh Allen for the Bills, another guy that I was actually high on a little bit. We did a couple shows ago. We did a quarterback by Sarah Holt. 
he got hurt as well. I think he ended up coming. I, he might have ended up coming back in the game, but I think he got in a concussion as well. So for me, I just I would wait a year on all these quarterbacks. Okay, the guy for the Giants, the Minshew, the guy from Ohio State that probably will get an opportunity for the Redskins. There's probably a handful of other guys out there. I would just wait, just wait at least wait until the playoffs. Okay, you could still buy. Uh, NFL cards in in November and December. I mean, the NFL season goes so quickly. I mean, it's like here and then gone. So I would just wait. I wouldn't get excited about any of these guys. You know, certainly if you're only paying a dollar or two for their cards, I got no problem with that. I think there's not a ton of downside if you're doing that. But I would not pay up for any of these rookies just because we've seen a lot of quarterbacks go down this year. um, And I think that trend will continue. And quite frankly, none of these guys look like Patrick Mahomes. None of them look like Tom Brady. And those are the only two guys that are really, really worth a lot of money and have kind of seen big, big, big price uh, you know, increases. So it's not worth it. I'd wait, I'd wait, I'd wait, I'd wait. Wait till the offseason. Wait till baseball season starts to really start paying attention to football. I think also basketball starting. I think there's a lot of anticipation about this year's basketball season, in part because the Warriors got broken up. Okay, I mean, the Warriors have been a great team. I think they've made the they made finals for for four five years in a row now. It seems like I could be wrong about that, but they made the finals. Now, have they won every year? No, but I think people are excited that that team is kind of broken up. Well, they, they still might make the play. They're going to make the playoffs. They still might make the finals. But I think, you know, Toronto gave hope to other people. We also had a lot of player movement as well, a lot of significant player movement. You know, Kawhi and Paul George and Anthony Davis, obviously, um, and Kevin Durant, I know he's not going to play, but and Kyrie Irving, there was a lot of player movement. So I think a lot of fans are excited about maybe the new players. And then even if you're, you know, if you're a fan of some of these teams that where some good players have gone, you're still excited about your team. So I think, and obviously we haven't even, you know, we didn't even mention Zion Williamson, who just looks like a freaking man among boys, and he's like 18 years old. Okay, I, you know, how will he look on an NBA court will probably be a different story, and I think, you know, if I were to give you an, opi- uh, an opinion or a prediction, I think Zion is going to look incredible some moments, and then some moments maybe forgettable, Okay. I think that's just the kind of player he is. He's not like a James Harden or a Westbrook or even LeBron or even Curry who kind of have the ball in their hands a lot of the time. I actually think Zion's going to be an off-ball player. At least that's what I saw him play when he was at Duke. And you got to think one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time probably had him in the position and on the court where he was going to be the best. And Zion... Off ball is a very, very good player. And so I think at times, given how, how, how selfish, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but how selfish a lot of NBA players are, uh, and I, surely if I was in the NBA, I'd be trying to put up shots and not pass the ball probably, uh, you know, I think there'll be times when he doesn't get the ball. And again, this is in his rookie year, maybe second, third year. You know, could he develop into a, a James Harden kind of ball hog kind of guy? Certainly he could. But I think there'll be times, again, he'll be spectacular, and then there'll be times when 
you know, he might put up 13, 14 points and eight rebounds, and, and it's not as spectacular. But we'll see what happens. But my main point in this is I would go to sleep on the NFL this year. Not saying don't watch it. I've been having a lot of fun watching it and things like that. But in general, it just doesn't look like um, that compelling of a rookie class that you got to get in here and, and start buying. Now, next topic. Did DA Card World scam me out of nearly $600 and five boxes of 2019? Series 2 Jumbo Baseball. And the fast answer and the quick answer is no, they did not. But I will tell you the situation and tell you how I feel about them and whether or not I would use this service again. So, uh, as I said on this show and many times, I pre-order Topps products primarily because occasionally you can make a little bit of money on it, but number two... I honestly don't know why I do it. Uh, it's not a very profitable thing. Even when you can make money, it's not a super profitable thing. Um, now, I'm, I'm kind of holding on to the stuff longer, and so maybe uh, there will be profit to be made. Now, it was the case that with Series 2 Jumbo Boxes, I had a full-sealed case, that I could make money. And I could sell them on eBay and make money. I could probably find a group breaker that would buy them and make money. But the easiest, and I thought it was the easiest, the easiest way I thought I could sell them is I actually saw DA Cardworld buys boxes. And they have the uh, published price. And it was a price where I would make, I think it was like $20 or $30 a box. And over four or five boxes, it, it wasn't bad. And I didn't have to pay any seller fees. I didn't have to worry about returns, which is something you have to worry about on eBay. I didn't have to worry about non-paying bidders. I didn't have to worry about pictures and listing and just all that stuff. Stuff's going wrong in the mail. I didn't have to worry about any of that. I thought I was just going to be able to box this stuff up, send it to DA Cardwell, get my money, and call it a day. Well, didn't work like that. Okay, I did. It was a very easy process to figure out what price they would pay for the boxes. It was all pretty much automated. They sent me an email. I, you know, I have a UPS account, so I get pretty good rates because I'm actually out here in California. They're all the way in New York. So it goes a long ways. Quite frankly, if they were closer to me, it'd be even better. But um, I do have a UPS account. I do ship out a decent amount of stuff through them. And so I get, I think it's 30 or 40% off. Uh, you know, kind of the published rate. And I'm, I'm sure if I sent out more stuff, I probably could get a deeper discount. But I'll take my 30 or 40% off. I think it was only maybe $19 or $20 uh, to send the boxes out to them. I might be wrong about that. It might have been even cheaper. Wasn't a huge box. It was kind of a small box. Didn't weigh a whole lot. So I ended up uh, pulling, it was a six box case. I pulled one box, opened it. I didn't really get anything. Uh, I, maybe a Pete Alonzo and a couple of, you know, for a hundred, I think the boxes cost $115, $120, $130. I probably barely got maybe 30 or $40 worth of cards in it. Maybe if I'm lucky. So it didn't do too well opening the one box. The rest I, I, I boxed up, you know, babe, that probably means uh, there were probably some good cards in there. Um, but you know, I don't care. So I send it in to uh, DA Cardwell. And a week goes by. And the product gets delivered. And I can see this because 
UPS automatically emails me when, uh, when one of my shipments gets delivered. So I say, oh, okay. You know, it, they got it. And so I, I, you know, I was excited about that. I was glad it made it. And so the next day, I email uh, DA Cardwell and I said, hey, it just, just letting you know, here was the tracking number because there was nowhere to put this. I said, here was the tracking number. Here was my product. Here's my PayPal email address. Let me know if there's any problems with the shipment or the boxes or if you have any questions. Uh, I'd be more than happy to, to work that out or, or answer any questions. So I sent him an email. You know, that was the gist of it. So a week goes by. I don't get a response. I don't have my money. And so I sent D.A. Carwell another email saying, hey, this is the second time I've contacted you. Um, you know, I haven't heard from you. I haven't got confirmation of receipt. I haven't gotten my money. I'm just wondering, you know, can you give me an update? A week goes by. I don't get an email back. I don't have my money. And so finally I was like, this is what Twitter is for. This is why you have uh, thousands of followers and your tweets get seen. So I tweeted at D.A. Carwell and said, hey, what the heck is going on? Now, to their credit, they immediately uh, got back to me. They immediately explained to me the problem. Apparently, my PayPal account was not allowing them to send me the money. And so they wrote me a check. And a couple days later, I got my check. And I think some people said, hey, that, you know, they, you know, DA Cardwell only, only fessed up after you outed them. And th that is true. But what didn't happen when I posted DA Cardwell didn't pay me. I didn't get four or five or even one other person saying, oh, yeah, they did that to me. I had the same experience. I didn't have one person say that. If more than one person said, oh, yeah, I had that same problem with DA, then I probably would have got it on the podcast. I probably would have wrote an article and I would have blew them up. Even if it meant not getting the $600, okay? The content itself might have been worth that. I don't know. So, but I didn't hear any of that. And so I will absolutely, in this hobby or any hobby, anywhere that I deal with people, if I feel like it was a singular mistake, if it was just a miscommunicate, now, should they have emailed me back? Should they have contacted me when they couldn't get my money to me through PayPal? Should they have contacted me? Of course. Should they have responded to one of my two emails that I sent them? Of course they should have. But I didn't hear from other people in the community that they had a similar problem with them. So I'm going to let it slide. Am I going to be real anxious to send them my next product? Probably not. Of course, I had this Series 2 sitting around in my closet for, for at least a month, maybe longer. So it wasn't like I was that anxious to sell it anyways. But I just thought I would share that. I wouldn't discourage any of you to not send your product to DA Cardone. But what I would do is have a record of your tracking, have a record, maybe, um, you know, put inside the box, maybe some instructions um, and just make sure you follow up with them if you don't get your money because 
what I saw was a process breakdown inside DA Cardboard where they they had an error or a difficulty sending my money, but they didn't reach out to me, which I think is not good. Okay. But again, the only one uh, that has, as I know, has reported on this issue or this problem. And on top of that, Look, it was it was like $590 or something like that. Okay, what's well, not a big amount of money. It wasn't something I was trying to pay bills with or anything like that, although I probably did uh probably did have to pay some bills when you got two kids, a mortgage, and I just did an addition on my house and I just leased a brand new Mercedes and <laughs> not a cheap one. So yeah, I've got bills to pay, needless to say. But um just wanted to, to shout that out. And um, like I said, in the future, am I going to be running to them with my product that they're going to buy and make money on? Probably not. But would I use the service again? I'm going to say maybe. Not going to give a firm yes or no. I would say maybe. Depends on, depends on the circumstances. But I did get my money and they did send it out right away uh, once they realized uh, once I and maybe escalated the problem to a higher authority there, whoever runs the Twitter account obviously has a little higher authority over at DA Carbold. So I appreciate it. And um, moving on. Next topic. I made a trip to Southern Hobby and uh, the Reno is about, let's see, South Lake Tahoe is about two and a half hours from where I live and Reno's another 45 minutes, so three and a half hours or so. And not a trip that's easy to do because I had to, you know, I'm loading up the bend. So I've, you know, I got to fold down the seats and I don't got a three row seat one. I can't afford that one. I've only got the two row seats. And so I got to fold them down and load the stuff up in there. And, um, <laughs> and so, uh, I was, again, I was looking at my Southern hobby receipts and I, you know, I think this is actually, this is probably what I want to talk about first is when you're running a business. So say you're a group breaker or you sell single cards or you sell, uh, you have a card shop or, or whatever it is. And it doesn't even have to be related to cards. It could be any business. What I like to do is look at kind of my spending in my business and figure out ways I can kind of not necessarily cut costs because I feel you got to spend money to make money, but where are, are some way, you know, where am I wasting money? You know what I mean? Like, where am I, am I buying product that's not selling, that's not profitable? You know, that, that might be a waste of that capital. And in, and in Southern Hobbies case, I, I am occasionally ordering large amounts of supplies and they charge me a fair amount for shipping, uh, you know, well over a uh, hundred dollars sometimes. Okay. Especially when you order, you know, I think one time I ordered like 300 pounds of, of product and yeah, that's expensive. Okay. It, you know, it, 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 even for, you know, I'm just three hours away. It's not super cheap to send that to me. So I looked at that and I said, you know, Lake Tahoe is beautiful, okay? And occasionally, my wife and I need a break from raising two boys who are, who are you know, off the walls at times. Uh, and they haven't even gotten to that age where they're, you know, they're really crazy. So, and crazy in a good way. So I took the opportunity to, you know, drop the kids off at grandma and grandpa 
and make a trip to Southern Hobby and got a tour of the facility and got to meet my sales rep who have been talking on the phone and conversing through email uh, over the last you know two years, three years now. Uh, and so it was really awesome. And they have a beautiful facility uh, and it's very clean and uh, just really professionally run. And um, so it was cool to kind of see that. I got some insight onto like board games. Like one thing I sell, but I don't know much about are like board games and some of these card games and like kind of Magic the Gathering kind of card games. I just know that I can buy it for one price and sell it for another price. I don't know the trends. I don't know why some things sell for more money than others. And I can make a lot of money on some and, and some I can't. Um, you know, so it was cool being able to get some knowledge about that and kind of learn about it. And on top of that, like I said, I got a comp room at, uh, at, uh, in South Lake Tahoe, you know, you pay a resort fee. It was like 20 something bucks. And, you know, you got to take the wife out to dinner. You got to buy her some clothes. You got to buy the kids something. So I probably spent, you know, I probably spent several hundred dollars and then I probably put, you know, 80 or $90 of gas into the tank. And, um, although I got really good gas, that's the one thing about my Mercedes. It gets very good gas. It gets very good gas mileage on the highway. I think I was averaging close to 30 miles a gallon. Okay. This is a turbocharged V6. Um, and the car can't be light. Okay. It's a full size SUV. I was getting like 30 miles to the gallon on my way home. On the way there, I think you're going up the mountain a lot of the time. So I got a little bit less than that. But on the way home, man, you're going down that mountain. You get a lot of a lot of drift in that thing. I think there's also some kind of uh, EQ technology or something that gives it. Because I remember my last Mercedes, I, I topped out at 21, 22 miles uh, on the gallon. It doesn't matter what what kind of driving you were doing. Um, but this one has a little bit uh, better better gas mileage. And so I think I only had to fill it up, which is about $75, $80 in terms of uh, California gas prices. Everywhere else in the country, it'd be closer to probably $50 or 60 Uh, but Hey, that's the price you pay here, uh, in California, but, um, yeah, it was worth it and it was totally fun. I, I think now it's starting to snow in the Sierras. So that trip is going to be a little bit more difficult. Certainly not something I'm willing, I'm not really willing. I'm definitely not willing to drive through snow to get there because it would just take too much time and it'd be probably dangerous. Um, but if the weather's nice, and, um, if my wife can come great, if not, you know, I can maybe take a buddy or my brother and we can head up there. So I'm looking forward to doing more of that. And it's certainly worth it, um, from that perspective. Now, again, did I save any money? Like I said, I had to buy dinner and there was a resort fee and I bought some clothes. I bought some new shoes. Um, you know, and there was lunch and, and, and dinner almost the next day. So I, I didn't save any money. But a lot of that stuff, too, can be utilized. I also get a tax break on a lot of that other stuff. All those miles driving to the warehouse and things like that, that's all you get. Like, I don't know what the rate is, but I think last year it was like 39 or 49 cents a mile. Even at the, the you know, paying for premium gas here in California, uh, you know, getting 49 cents a mile over several hundred miles is actually probably putting money back into my pocket. So that's the kind of the way I thought about it uh, from a tax perspective and an expense pers- 
perspective. Did I save any money out of my pocket right now? No, but when I file my taxes, my car and my mileage will will be a very nice tax benefit. And if you do any driving, okay, I'm not a tax expert. I'm not giving you any tax advice right now, but I have an app that tracks my miles on my phone and does a really good job once you kind of teach it uh, your driving patterns. It automatically recognizes when I make a business trip versus a personal trip. And quite frankly, the bulk of my driving is is personal, okay? But, you know, I do do a fair amount of driving for, for business purposes, uh, for a number of different businesses that, that I'm running right now. And so... That is a tremendous tax write-off, okay? That on top of my lease payment and uh, the depreciation of the car, I don't know how that works with a lease, um, but I will get a very, very large, very large tax credit for owning a car. So do I pay out of pocket every month for my car and is it very expensive? Yes, but come tax time, it actually is a one of my best tax write-offs outside of my kids and my house. I would say my car is right up there. And again, some of you guys live in Bohunk, Texas, and you guys, you know, jerk off to pictures of men. Some of you guys live in Kansas. And, you know, again, nothing wrong with these states. Nothing wrong with living there. But you don't live in a high-tax state. I do, okay? I have to look for every tax break and loophole and everything possible. Otherwise I have to write it a tremendous, um, uh, you know, a tremendous check, you know, and then when you, you know, like I said, I got two kids, I got an addition on my house. Now I've got, you know, uh, I got all this furniture that I've got to start building and stuff like that. Look, you know, the less amount of money I can send to the government, the better. And so the Southern hobby trip is an example of that. And maybe you can apply that again, the, 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 the thought process of eliminating costs or kind of changing a cost or converting a cost into a different kind of thing is something that you might want to think about. And if you're, if you're making business trips, again, not commuting, commuting to and from your job is, and this is the, this is why People who earn a paycheck, and this is probably most of you guys listening right now, you guys earn a paycheck and you don't get credit for driving your car necessarily. And in some cases there, there is, but just driving to and from work, you can't, at least from, from what I know, uh, and maybe even previous tax law, you can't write that off on your taxes, okay? But if you own your own business, and you're driving to a Walmart or you're driving to Southern Hobby or you're driving uh, to go pick up some inventory or drop some off, you can write all that out. This is why people that own their own businesses tend to be more successful than people that draw a check, a paycheck for clocking in and clocking out. It's because there's a tremendous amount of tax benefit. Tremendous amount more control you have over your money and how you are taxed when you're in that situation. When you're drawing a check from your employer, you have far less control over that. Moving on. Now that I'm starting to give out tax advice, we should move on. All the, the CPAs and tax attorneys are cringing. Uh, okay, so baseball, 
is is kind of, you know, if your team's in the playoff, great. Hope you guys enjoy that. It's worth it. Uh, you know, it doesn't come every year, okay, uh, as I know. But, you know, so enjoy that. And I'm sure there are some prospects or some younger players or some established players that are doing well in the playoffs and their cards are going up, and that's great. I don't want to play that game. If you want to play that game, more, you're more than welcome to, and I'm sure it's profitable. Well, I'm sure there's money to be made there. It's probably a better way to say it. What I want to do is wait another three to four weeks, get my list. Actually, over the next three to four weeks, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. Over the next, uh, you know, we'll call it month, I am going to make a list of prospects that I think are going to get an opportunity in spring training and potentially an opportunity to make a debut in the major leagues next year at some point. Okay? I'm going to make a list of players. Might be 10 players, might be 15, might be 20, I don't know. I already have some players on a list, but it's a short list right now. I'm going to buy their cards in November and December. Primarily, the biggest day I'm probably going to do, or I'm going to try to do a lot of buying, is check out my cards has a Black Friday sale, okay? And they allow, you know, sellers to make, you know, put cards at a discount. And so I'm going to have some cards on my watch list or kind of cards that I'm looking for and players I'm looking for. And I'm going to probably make my first move, hopefully then. Okay. If it doesn't really work out, it doesn't work out. That's fine. I don't mind, um, you know, but I kind of want to wait for the, see what the price is then see how many I can pick up during that time frame, And then I'll fill in what I, what I feel I, I, I could still buy, you know, the rest of November and December. I kind of feel like it's a good time to buy because number one, it's the height of the NFL season, right? It, November and December is when teams are making playoff pushes and things like that. And it's also the height of kind of the product cycle as well for Panini and stuff like that. Now, I know Panini comes out with NFL products all the way into the the, the second half of, of 2020, but... You know, again, you have baseball starting up, you have basketball kind of going into full swing. So nobody really cares by then. And by then, quite frankly, Daniel Jones's team is probably going to be out of the playoffs. The Jaguars are going to probably be out of the mix. The Washington Redskins quarterback might be, you know, in and out. Saquon Barkley might be hurt, things like that. So I'm not too worried about football, obviously, but I'm going to make my list of MLB prospects. But here's, here's one thing I'm going to do this year because I noticed there's a, a heightened interest and certainly heightened values in a lot of these guys uh, over the last couple years. I might have talked about it on the show before. I picked up Juan Soto's cards the year before, you know, a couple months before he made his debut with the Nationals. Did the same thing, bought him in November and December. I think I paid like 75, 80 cents and I thought that was a lot. And sure enough, couple months later, he makes his debut, and those cards are, I think they got up to maybe 8 to $10, maybe a little bit more than that. So certainly a decent return. And so I've tried to replicate that, and I have. I've done pretty well. As I go through my account and see the cards that I have left, it's very, very, very few. Most of these cards sell. But one thing I'm going to be keeping an eye on is some of these guys are actually overpriced because I want to walk you through. So... Ronald Acuna, his Bowman Chrome base rookie card, guess what it's worth? $25. Wow, that's a lot of money. 
Okay, but this is Ronald freaking Acuna. I think his team's in the playoffs. I think he had a great year. I mean, he put up uh, like Mike Trout kind of numbers, at least from an average perspective. And just, I mean, I, I, I don't I don't study baseball statistics, so I can't tell you this. Um, some of you guys are going to know more than I did. But just from when I glanced at Acuna stats, they were phenomenal. So I can see why, and he's plus he's on the Braves. The Braves have a really uh, deep and and well well uh, well seasoned fan base. His cards were twenty five dollars. Holy crap! Okay, that's the high end. I figure that's kind of the t- tip top of the mark. Then I went to Pete Alonso. He just hit fifty some odd home runs. Looked really good. Kind of came out of nowhere. I think his. His first card was in 2000, might have been 2000, I have a 2006 written down here. I don't know if it goes back that far, maybe. His Bowman draft, I believe, is worth $19. Again, this is the lowest price on check on my, when I say worth, this is the lowest price on check on my card. So um, I would guess these guys would sell you these cards for at least a dollar or two less than this. But it's at least what people are asking. Pete Alonzo, 19 Ronald Acuna, 25. Then I wanted to look at Aaron Judge. I think he was hurt a little bit this year, but, you know, he's on the Yankees. His card, 2013, Bowman Draft Picks and Prospect, $16. Then I wanted to look at Carlos Correa, a guy that's won a World Series. Uh, I don't know what kind of year he had statistically. His card, $1. Mookie Betts, another guy a lot of people talk about who's really good statistically, really good on... Uh, you know, on a really good and popular team, the Red Sox, what's his card worth? $4. Juan Soto, guy I just talked about. I picked these up for under a dollar right before he made his MLB debut. What is his 2017 Bowman Chrome card sell for? $5. Cody Bellinger had a really good year. The Dodgers have been in the playoffs for every year for a while, really since he's come up. He's one of the best hitters in the National League probably. What's his worth? $7.50. $7.50. And finally, Alex Bregman. Looks like he he had one. I might even have some of his cards sitting around here, uh, quite frankly. His card, $6. He had a really good season. I think he had over 40 home runs. So the reason why I went through this exercise is to show you guys, okay, you know, all the way from Carlos Correa for a dollar to Mookie Betts for four to Juan Soto for five. Uh, all the way up to Judge at 16, Pete Alonso at 19, Ronald Kuna at 25. What this tells me, if it the and I was looking at some of these minor league players. Again, I was making my list, look at reading MLB articles because I don't follow these guys. Uh, so I was reading basically other people's opinion on where these guys will be next year, and they've been accurate. Look, the the this is how I, I didn't know Juan Soto before I read about someone else's opinion about him. So I read these guys' opinion and I believe it. Um, some of these cards that I'm looking at are worth like eight to ten dollars already, like right now. And that to me just shows me there is not a lot of upside there. When Ronald Acuna's worth 25, when Pete Alonso hits the cover out of the fucking ball, and his card's worth 19. Now, can you make a car make money selling a guy, buying it for nine and selling it for 19? Sure you can. Sure you can. But he'd have to come to the major leagues and have a Pete Alonso type here. And also, as we've seen with Mookie Betts, Carlos Correa, 
even Juan Soto to a certain degree, and even Cody Bellinger. These guys are on good teams. These guys are on popular teams. These are guys that are on teams that win. And their cards sell for under $10, in some cases under 5 So there's absolutely no freaking way I am going to buy a baseball prospect and pay over $5. I'm just not going to do it. I don't care if it's Wander Franco or, uh, you know, Wander whoever. I'm not going to pay over $5. And I haven't really done that in the past. Now, I've targeted a couple of prospects that are selling for under $2 or right around $2.50, $2.50 that I think have upside, probably upside into the $10 range. And not difficult upside to get there. I don't think they have to come to the major leagues and hit 45, 50 home runs. Although they're probably capable of it. And I think really that's where I'm going to narrow my focus to. You know, the pitchers, people, you know, do people care about pitchers? Yeah. But is it, you know, it's all about the long ball these days. And, uh, you know, it's hard to actually put a formula on it because, you know, again, look at Mookie Betts, look at Soto, look at Bellinger, although his trade's at 650. Um, you know, look at Carlos Correa. It's hard, you know, I think sometimes in the past people have been like, oh, if he's white, it's worth more. If he's, you know, black or Mexican or, or Dominican and doesn't speak English, it's worth less. I don't, I, I'm buying, I am not really buying into that. Okay, because Ronald Acuna, you know, I don't think he's white the last time I looked, and his card's $25. So it's a difficult, difficult thing to, to, to predict, but um, I think this year I'm going to be more careful about who I buy. And if I find, I, I've actually found two guys, their cards, again, are selling under that $2 range that I think have upside into that $10 range. And that's just for their base. I'm also buying some of their refractors for under, call it three or $4. Those cards probably have upside into the to $15, $20 range, maybe even a little higher than that. That's where I'm going to, I'm probably going to narrow my focus a little bit. And I'm going to probably ignore kind of hard pass on a lot of the guys that are already kind of in that 5 to $6 range. Because again, look at Cody Bellinger. Look at uh, Mookie Betts. Look at some of these guys. Their cards, you know, they peaked out. You know, now, you know, when did Mookie Betts' cards peak out? When did Bellinger's peak out? That's another thing to kind of keep in mind. Did they peak out a little higher than that? Did Bellinger's get up to $13, $14? Uh, it would make sense if they did, especially in his rookie year. But, um, you know, it kind of get this gives, again, it's not a perfect model that I'm looking at. I'm not looking at perfect data or all the data, but it just you know, I'm going to keep it all in the back of my mind. And I kind of wanted to share that with you. Um, and yeah, that's what we'll, uh, that's what I'll share with you there. L- moving on. Finally, last topic, I'm going to go over some listener questions. And as I'm going over this first one, I'm going to be pulling up my Instagram because that's where, um, I think two or three of them came from. So again, you can follow me, uh, at sports card radio on Twitter. I might block you though. I've been on a block party. Again, I limit myself to 15 minutes on Twitter. I don't, if you have an opinion about me and about my car and about my watches, you know, I'll, I'll hear you out for a tweet or two, but if that's all you talk about, I'm going to block you, okay? 
You guys collect pictures of men. I don't. I don't like collecting that stuff. I, that's why I like check out my cards. It helps me stay in the hobby without having to put any of this stuff, you know, I don't have to put any of this stuff in my closet, okay? Do I like buying and selling supplies? Do I like buying stuff wholesale and selling it? Yeah, but it's, a, it's not a lot of trading cards, okay? And I wouldn't consider, I don't consider myself a collector of cards. Do I buy and sell them? Yes. Do I collect them? No, I don't think I'm a collector. Am I collecting Swiss watches? Yes. Okay. Can I get a bunch of them all at once? No, they're expensive. But a few years ago, I had none. Now I have two. And quite frankly, the price has actually gone up. I've had, I'll also block you on Twitter if you claim that Rolex watches don't go up in value because you do not know what you're talking about. People, newsflash, 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 people buy Rolex watches straight from Rolex and then flip them for more money. You can actually do that right now. Some of the, the ones that just came out, some of the ones with the colored ceramic faces are very, very, very hot right now. And if you can get the right color combination, you can sell it for more money than Rolex sells it to you. Now, is the allocation tougher than, than uh, you know, Topps Tribute Baseball? Yeah, hell yeah, it is. But you can make money. And as the price of gold goes up, and it, go look at a gold chart. Go look at a silver chart. Go look at a precious metal chart. Guys, these charts look phenomenal right now. So yes, could, you know, uh, when I was in the market for a Rolex presidential, this was like two or three years ago, you could find them regularly under that $9,000 price point, $8,500 to $9,000 pretty frequently. Now you'd be hard pressed to find one under 10 grand because the price of gold has moved up to where it, it, you know, the value of that watch has gone up with the price of gold. Rolex Daytona, here's a be probably a better example. I literally bought a Rolex Daytona a couple months ago, uh, maybe six months ago or so. Uh, that watch is now worth about, now sells for $1,000 more than I paid for it. Okay, these watches go up in value. So that's what I like to collect. It's also something I like to wear. And it's something I would love to pass down to my children. Pretty sure, I don't know about you, but go around, go find 30 kids and say, hey, when I die, would you like me to give you this stack of pictures of men or these rare Swiss watches? And, uh, you know, I, I can guarantee you what most of them are going to tell you. But hey, collect what you want to collect. Collect what makes you happy. What makes me happy might be different than you. So first listener question talked about a recession. What will happen if we have a recession? If you watch CNBC, if you watch any of these news outlets, they're saying, oh, recession's coming. Recession is on its way. The, the yield curve inverted. The ISM data is terrible. A recession is on the way. And uh, look, am I going to sit here and, and tell you I think a recession is coming? 
I don't know. Honestly, yeah, maybe. We've been, literally, the stock market has been going up for, for 10 years. I sure as hell, uh, you know, wouldn't be shocked if it sold off for a year or two. Or three or four, even. Now, would it suck if you just started buying stocks? If you just started investing your money and your stocks went down 20 or 30%? Does that suck? Yeah. But look, I've been holding stock for years and years now. Okay, if it goes down 20 or 30%, uh, you know, quite frankly, I'd like to buy some more. I'm actually trying to accumulate stock. So if it went down, uh, yeah, I'd probably be buying more. I wouldn't be jumping in there on day one of the crash, but yeah, I'd be in there probably. Um, so I don't know if a recession is coming. I think we're, we're due for a slowdown probably, but, and based on where the rest of the world, I mean, there's like negative rates in Europe and there's negative rates in, in a lot of countries. And that's a bad sign. Uh, usually when you have to pay other people to borrow money, <laughs> And the U.S. is in the midst of lowering their interest rates as well. Uh, that's typically a sign that, yeah, things are slowing down or things, things aren't, aren't, aren't really super hot. And I think politically, I think we're, um, you know, to be quite frank with you guys, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Donald Trump, and I, think, I believe those are going to be the two candidates that will face off. I could be wrong about that. It could, it could not be Donald Trump, and it could not be Elizabeth Warren the way we sit today. But uh, all things being equal, if uh, the political infighting stops and Elizabeth Warren continues her trajectory and uh, you know Bernie Sanders gracefully bows out and Joe Biden gracefully bows out, and endorses her and, and, and allows their voters to feel comfortable moving on from their support to her, which I think probably will happen, um, you couldn't have two different philosophies on business. And I'm not going to sit here and say Elizabeth Warren, if she is elected, is going to be able to pass everything she is running on. What she is running on allows her to generate interest and more importantly, donation, campaign donations. Okay. She needs votes and, and donations and money. And that's just a fact of politics. And, and so just like Trump said, Mexico was going to build the wall and Trump said a lot of things. God, Trump says a lot of things. Okay. Um, you know, 5% of it actually becomes reality. And I think Elizabeth Warren is probably going to be in the same vein, even if she wins and even if the Democrat, I don't know how the Senate races and all that stuff stands. Uh, I won't know until this time next year, probably how all that shakes out. But uh, even if she wins and Democrats have a majority in both houses, as Trump had, you know, as we saw with Trump, Trump didn't get everything he wanted passed through. Okay. Um, so, and that's the way, honestly, Washington should work. Okay, not saying politicians should run on broken promises and then come in and, and not get anything done. But honestly, they shouldn't. Presidents shouldn't get everything they want. But here's the rub is and here's my point is Donald Trump's tax policy and kind of economic policy is almost a 360 or a 180 from Elizabeth Warren's. And so. 
I, I believe, and I was accurate about Trump. Everybody said he would get elected and he would crash the economy and the stocks would sell off and things would go to hell. And quite frankly, it's been almost the opposite. And I say almost, some of the stuff he's done on tariffs, while I don't necessarily disagree with it, it has impacted the economy in, an, in I wouldn't say a negative way, it is, but it has impacted the economy. And the longer it goes on, the more it will impact the economy. Will there be some positives? Will there be some negatives? Yes, but it impacts it. And I believe if Elizabeth Warren becomes the front runner and then if she gets elected, quite frankly, a lot of the things she's talking about is bad for business, is bad for wealth creation, is bad for wealth holders, and ultimately bad for the stock market. Now, will stocks sell off and go uh, you know, into the doldrums for all four to eight years she may or may not be president? I don't know. I can't predict that. But I, what I will tell you, being somebody that accurately predicted what the stock market would do if Donald Trump would, was elected, I can tell you with almost certain confidence, the stock market is not going to be excited about an Elizabeth Warren presidency. Now, that doesn't mean we go into a recession. That doesn't mean, you know, we're going to hell. But it's not going to be, it's not, there's not going to be a lot of positive vibes. There's going to be a lot of uncertainty. There's going to be a lot of uncertainty to see you know, will she, t- I mean, one of the things I think she's proposing is she's going to p- tax wealthy people on their assets every year. That means your baseball card collection. That means your car collection. That means your watches. That means your homes. You're going to get taxed on that every year. Believe me, guys, that's not going to make anybody happy uh, in that top 1%. And whether or not something like that can actually be passed and implemented, or even if it's constitutional, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, but it will cause a lot of uncertainty. So for me personally, as we head into the election cycle, and as, I think it's going to be close. I, I think it's going to be the polls are going to show that the race is close. Will it turn out like 2016 and Trump basically blew out Hillary Clinton? I don't know. And Trump can always blow himself out as well, too. Okay, this is a guy that can self-destruct himself, okay? And God, it wouldn't surprise me if he has to have a stent uh, of artery. You know, hey, look, I, I wouldn't vote for Bernie Sanders. I, 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 You know, he's not someone I agree with, but do I hope he gets better? Do I hope his health, uh, you know, gets better? Of course I do, okay? I'm not like a lot of you loony bins out there that wish Donald Trump gets shot tomorrow or run over by a truck. I don't wish that on anybody. Just because I disagree with somebody on a lot of issues or almost all of them doesn't mean I wish that they have a heart attack and they keel over and die. I mean, that's crazy. But what I will say is, yeah, as a a father, as an asset owner, as somebody, you know, I don't think I'll ever get to the top 1%, but as someone that, yes, I, I, I... I need to get to $1 million in assets, at least, okay? And if you don't have that as your goal, if you think Social Security and Medicare are going to be around, I mean, Social Security and Medicare are insolvent, 
like basically right now. Social Security and Medicare are insolvent right now. Okay, I, I am not scheduled to get those benefits for another 30 years. You think they're going to be around in 30 years? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Okay, and if I do get those benefits, guess how I'll pay for them? Through taxes over the next 30 years. So I'll pay for them one way or another. So what does that mean for me? I have to save a lot of money. I have to acquire a lot of assets. Doesn't all need to be in the stock market. Doesn't all need to be in dollar bills and things like that. Like I said, Swiss watches go up in value. Or at the very least, hold their value and actually go up as, you know, I can almost guarantee you gold is going to be a lot higher in 30 years than it is today. A lot higher. And so, yeah, a, a watch that has four or five ounces of gold in it is going to be worth a lot of money. And it's going to be equal to what the price of gold is. Because at the very least, you can melt the down thing down and take it to a scrapyard. So, to, I, I kind of diverted off into politics a little bit, but um, I, I actually think it's really interesting. I think that dynamic is going to be really interesting. You know, Donald Trump and, and Elizabeth Warren are complete opposites when it comes to business and, and comes to a lot of things, quite frankly. And, and Trump's the opposite of most people. I don't think that's, you know, a stretch. But... Um, you know, it's going to create a lot of fear and uncertainty in business community, people that hold wealth, people that are trying to acquire wealth. You know, you know, someone like me, it's like, do I want to hold all my wealth in paper assets and easily tracked assets like stocks? Probably not. If somebody like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or someone like that gets elected, no, I don't. So we'll see what happens. I think that could create uh, an economic environment that could spur on a recession. I'm not saying Elizabeth Warren herself could create a, an economic recession. I'm just saying the fear around maybe change, her, the change she might bring, just that fear alone could cause a lot of ripples throughout the economy. And... Um, and the last thing I want to say on a recession before I get to answering this guy's question, which is, you know, what do I think sports cards will do during a recession? You know, how that market will hold up. And I think it's pretty obvious what, I, what my answer will be. But the last thing I want to say is there's kind of two types of recession. There's one that kind of lasts a little ways and unemployment goes up and in business investment kind of shrinks and um, people feel the pinch, Okay. Certainly during the last recession that the United States has, I owned a shop and it closed and I went broke. But within two years, I was doing fine. Okay, financially, I was doing fine the whole time. But financially, I was doing fine within two years. And, and that's, that's something I'm not fearful of, uh, you know, myself. What I am fearful of is a rapid inflation recession where people are scared to hold on to dollars so much that they try to spend them as fast as they can. That causes rapid inflation. You see it in other countries around the world where their currency isn't worth the paper it's printed on. 
People try to spend that money or convert it into a different convert, uh, currency or try to get rid of that money as fast as they can. You see rapid inflation. And that was my whole point with Elizabeth Warren. Now, I don't see us turning into, uh, you know, Colombia or any of these, you know, places that have rapid inflation or Italy or anything like that. Um, I don't see us getting to that extreme, but something uh, like her policies coming in could spur people trying to get rid of their dollars, trying to get rid of their assets. That could spur inflation. And that kind of recession is scary. That's one where I do worry about putting food on the table. If the price of bread is going up and up and up, the price of gas is going up and up and up, if the cost of living is going up and up and up with no end in sight, that is very, very, very scary. And I'm not giving you that opinion because I'm making it up. I, I'm giving you that opinion because I've read many, 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 many scholars in economics that says, yeah, based, and it's not Elizabeth Warren's fault, based on all the money we've printed and all the money we've quote unquote borrowed in this country, those, that day it will come at some point. When people lose confidence in the government, when people lose confidence in the dollar bill, when people lose confidence in money, that they try to trade it as fast as they can for some kind of goods or service. That's when you'll see rapid inflation. And that kind of recession scares the crap out of me. Especially as, I mean, if I was, you know, like 10 years ago, I was on my own, not married, no kids, no nothing, no problem. But, you know, as a father is two, two boys, that kind of recession does, you know, should, should be fearful to everybody. So I hope nothing like that happens. Not, and again, I'm not on this program trying to imply that, hey, if you vote for Elizabeth Warren, she's going to pass these things that cause rapid inflate, you know, cause all the wealthy people to try to get rid of their money and get rid of their assets and try to hide them, which I think will happen to a certain degree. Not saying that... Um, that would immediately cause this type of scenario. And it certainly wouldn't be all our fault because there's been plenty of mistakes in printing money that has happened before then that, that would contribute to it more than that. But it could be a kind of a tipping point. That's all I'm trying to say. But what would happen to sports cards in a recession? Guys, they would bottom out. No one gives a damn about cards. Okay, in a recession, you worry about your job, you worry about the roof over your head, you worry about putting food on the table, you also worry about having money two months from now, three months from now, four months from now. It's a, a recession is more about confidence, okay? In a recession, you don't have the confidence to go out and buy an $80,000 Mercedes or a $13,000 watch. You don't have the confidence to buy a new home or do an upgrade to your house. And you sure as hell don't want to go out and buy some overpriced picture of a man. Okay, that would be the last thing on a lot of people's minds. Now, are people still going to buy and sell cards? For sure, people are going to buy and sell cards. But guys, I owned a card shop in the before, in the middle, and after the last recession. Okay, it fucking sucked. Nobody was coming in. Nobody. I went from having customers coming in every day, chit-chatting, hey, how you doing? Buy a pack here, buy a box here, buy some hats, buy some jerseys, buy some t-shirts, to nobody. 
I mean, it was a fucking ghost town in my shop. I mean, it was just incredibly depressing. Okay, it was difficult. It's difficult. So I know what it's like. Okay, nobody cares. And, and quite frankly, a lot of the inventory I had on the trading card side, it was, you know, I liquidated it, but it was like no money. Okay. Will people still buy cards? Will people still be in the market? For sure, of course. Not everybody's going to be feeling like the pinch, but enough people will. It doesn't take a lot of people to feel the pinch. And a lot of people put this stuff on their credit card or PayPal credit or whatever it is. And, you know, the minute you don't have confidence or the minute you're like, man, I have $3,000 left on my credit card, I probably shouldn't buy a $1,000 baseball card if I'm not sure I'm going to have a job in a month. And so that's how I feel about that. Moving on to the next question. These actually come from Instagram. I'm not sure if this guy wants me to say who he is, so I'm not going to do that. But um, here's his first question, and I'll kind of paraphrase these a little bit. It says, the price of the hobby boxes keep going up. And I think what he's talking about is from the retail level. So yeah, boxes come out and they go up in value, kind of like uh, Bowman Chrome Baseball and Topps Chrome Baseball and Prism Basketball. Things like this hit retail at a certain price and they go up. What he's talking about here is Panini and Topps they will either raise the price or what they also tend to do is they take out content. So instead of three autographs, you get two. Instead of 18 packs, now you get 12. Uh, that kind of thing. And he says, are the companies basically just taking advantage of their customer base? You know, is there some sort of bubble, uh, you know, that's, that's going to happen here? Um, based on Based on, you know, the fact that you can't just keep raising prices over and over and over again. And, you know, I don't, you know, the, the, the businessman and the economist inside of me, if you, you as a company can charge more and people are paying it, more power to you. God bless you. I, you know, I, I don't, is there a limit to it? Of course there is. You know, could Kia, charge $80,000 for their SUV alongside a, a Lexus one? No, of course not. They can't do that. Okay. Can they try? Sure. Will they succeed? Probably not. So I think there's a cap to it at some point. And I think certain products, just knowing the tops baseball market a little bit better than, than I do paninis and stuff like that, could Tops charge more for some of their products? Of course they could. Like, I get some of this stuff wholesale, and it's like a double, right, when you get it. I mean, it's, that's rare. It's like maybe two or three products a year you can do that on. Um, but can you make 20%, 30% even after fees on, on a decent amount of it? Yeah, you can. You actually can. So if that's the case, yeah, I think there's a little bit more wiggle room that they can play with, and they keep keep raising it. Now, is that do they have to balance that over the course of the year? Sure they do. Do I think they're taking advantage of their customer base? Maybe some people think of it that way. I don't. I'm, I'm a businessman. I, I think if you can charge, you know, $100 for a potato, 
go ahead. You know, if people are willing to pay, if you're not frauding them, if you're not, you know, if it's not fraud or a crime, sure. You know, and people certainly do that. You go to a club in Las Vegas and you pay $300 for a bottle of Grey Goose that you could buy at the liquor store down the street for 25 So I don't think that's a fraud, but at some points there there is a balancing act. So I will say that. I think these companies have to way charging more versus, you know, putting in content uh, that is worth it. So I think they, they have to balance that. Uh, next question. He says, I imply that the card game is for fun. And I make most of my money off small amount and lower end cards. And this is true. I uh, actually, in the card game, I probably make the bulk of my money selling plastic, selling one touches and ultra pros and and uh, BCW and uh, th- those kind of supplies. I make most of my money there. Um, quite frankly, do I make money selling on check on my cards? Yes. Do I pull any of that money out? No, almost never. But um, it is true. I make, you know, I buy and sell most of my money off very low end supplies and low end trading cards. And I really divert, this is back to his question. I really diversify if you're trying to make money. And I think that's true. Have me or anyone I know set up an LLC just to buy cards and flip them. And if there's a loss, just to write it off as a business loss, meaning you can buy cases or do breaks and then go from there if you don't get your money's worth. Okay. Do I have an LLC? Yes. Am I going to tell you uh, what state it is in? No, because I want Brian Gray to come sue me in California and then say, uh, no, 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 no. Only idiots incorporate their business here in California. I live in California. God knows I don't incorporate my business here. So you'd actually, I believe, again, I don't know this for a fact, but I believe he would actually have to sue me where my business is incorporated in. And so I'm not going to tell you where that is, but it's not in California as you can guess. In fact, Google and Facebook and uh, Apple, none of these companies are incorporated. Do they do business in California? Are they incorporated here? No. Um, For a lot of different reasons, but mainly for for tax purposes and and, uh, also getting sued. But, uh, um, you know, I, I think it is I don't think LLC, first of all, LLC is kind of expensive. Mine costs, I think, between you between having to have, you actually, in most cases, have to have a lawyer or an attorney or a service like that draw up documents, that costs several hundred dollars, and then your licensing fees and renewal fees and taxes and things like that is going to be more money, usually closer, in my case, closer to $1,500, $2,000. So every year I pay close to $3,000 just to incorporate my business. If you're not making much pro again, that's $300. That's basically $300 a month. If you're not even close to making that kind of profit, uh, it's not worth, it's not worth incorporating. Now I'm not, I'm not a tax expert, so I can only tell you what I do. Okay. If I make money on something, whether it's buying, selling those Zion Williamson cards or it's buying and selling anything, I report that as income to the IRS because that is the law. And if I got audited, which I'm sure I will get audited one day, 
okay, for a number of different reasons. One, I'm self-employed. One, I take, uh, you know, large deductions off on my car. I take a home office deduction, which I, I've heard and, and even my tax accountant tells me that is you're more likely to, to be audited. And, at, at, you know, I don't have huge amounts of income, but I can imagine it's going to keep continuing to trend up to where, yes, I will be audited one day. And I do not want a bunch of money flowing through my accounts that is unaccounted for. So I do my best. Now, am I perfect? Do I get it all? Probably not. But do I get it to where if I did have to pay a small penalty, it would be very, very small. It'd probably be hundreds of dollars. We're not talking hundreds of thousands or even thousands of dollars. I do my best to keep track of all this accounting. Now, do people in this industry do that? No, I would say the vast majority of them don't. The vast majority of you, if you got audited, would be up shit's creek. But since I do all my buying and selling on uh, check on my cards or in very you know, rare circumstances, I buy some Zion Williamson cards for $4 and I sell them for eight. And I buy stuff from a wholesale distributor and all, almost all of those sales run through Amazon, which reports my income and my sales to the United States government for me. Yes, I keep track of it all. Yes, I have an LLC. What I will say about writing off, okay, you have to make a pro your business has to be profitable for you to write off anything. Okay. If your business is not making any money, it doesn't matter what your tax write-off is. Okay. Your business didn't make any money. Now, can you carry forward a loss? Can you start a business for a year or two and lose money and write that off on your taxes? Um, maybe. I don't know. Okay, I don't tend to start businesses that lose money for a year or two. Uh, that to me is a hobby. And also to me, a hobby is if you make $300 this month and then next month you make 20 and then next month you lose 100 and then next month you make 1000 and then next month you make $50. That's a hobby. That is a hobby. So if you're not making consistent money or if there's not like a season out, like I think of my brother, like he sells, he makes most of his money in a, you know, a three month, not to, to blow up his finances or anything like that. Uh, but I'm pretty sure StubHub uh, sends, uh, you know, 1099s or whatever it is to the government as well. Um, he makes all his money in a short period of time in kind of a season. If you're not doing that or making month after month after month after month after month a profit, Quite frankly, I wouldn't worry about taxes. I wouldn't worry about an LLC. I would worry about scaling up your business to where it actually made money. And then once you start making money, then you start worrying about your taxes. You start worrying about your state taxes. You start worrying about your federal income taxes. And again, I can't give you advice, but I can tell you what I do. My car, my house, my kids... My business expenses, okay, I buy a ton of bubble mailers or, you know, mailing supplies. I buy boxes. I buy packing peanuts. I buy lots of stuff, okay? 
for my business. Okay, that all applies. I spend a lot of money with UPS and the postal service. That I all track through one account and one credit card. Do I occasionally do trips and conferences? Yes, that all applies. Then you can start worrying about uh, business write-offs. But to me, a successful business doesn't say, oh, if I lose money, it'll be a tax write-off. No, uh, that's not a successful business. The way you want to think about writing off your taxes is, in the course of your business, what do you do that can be a tax write-off? Do you have inventory stored at your house? Well, you can have a home office. Do you have to buy a computer, a scanner, a scale, a printer, a, a label maker, uh, and all the supplies that go along with that? Yes, if that's the case, yes, those are all you want to keep track of all that inventory. And you want to keep very close track of that, in fact. So uh, that would be my, you know, if your business itself is not making money, then there's a problem there. You don't have to worry about taxes. You don't have to worry about having an LLC. But if your business is making money and consistently, then yes, you do want to do some tax planning, as I like to think about it. Number three, this comes, he says this comes out of left field. He says, um, I'm trying to read this here really quick. He said, you know, can you apply card collecting to gambling factor to, okay, so he's comparing card collecting to comic books. So there's kind of a gambling factor to cards, as we've seen with grab bags and there's raffle and razzes, which I don't support, don't promote, and don't think anybody should do. That is 110% illegal. Razzes and raffles are for profit are illegal. Period. End of story. Do people do them on Facebook? Do people have websites and things devoted to them? Yes. Is it illegal? 110% yes. A raffle or a raz or whatever you want to call it for profit is illegal. And the last time I checked, which was a few years ago, it's virtually illegal in every single state in the country. And in fact, if you do a raffle or a raz and you live in California and a guy in Utah enters and a guy in Texas enters and a guy in Florida enters, guess what? You're breaking laws in all those states. But grab bags are more, little more acceptable, sign stuff, group breaks are kind of a gamble. Um, you know, uh... I think he's trying to ask me if that can apply to comic books. Then rather than in, in comic books, I, I believe, you know, if you're, if you're buying comic books, you tend to get them in, um, you know, groups of 10 or 100 or whatever. And certain ones inside tend to be variants. They have a variant cover or maybe there's an art, art cover or a sketch cover or whatever. And he says... Um, you know, could you do this with comic books? And I guess you could, but I, what I will say is 
you know, the one reason they might not do it is because gambling is heavily regulated. Raffles, bingo, uh, anything that involves a game of chance is regulated heavily. Lotteries. Okay, part of it is because the state who runs a lottery doesn't want you to go to Joe Blow on the internet or down the street and raffle. They want you buying lottery tickets. They want you going to the Indian casino. They want you going to the state-regulated casino. So I would say uh, just blanketly here, Try not to get into the business of gambling unless you have a license and you have an attorney, okay? Both of those things. You need a license and you need an attorney. That's why you don't ever see me raffling anything off for a profit. You don't ever see me talk about razes. You don't see me, uh, you know, really talk about promoting group breaking and things like that because it's a game of chance and it's for profit, okay? Okay. Get the right lawyer, get the right district attorney, get the right whoever you want to talk about. They could bury you into the fucking ground, okay? I'd much rather buy a pack of Ultra Pro top loaders for $1.50 and sell them for $4. Much rather do that. There's not going to be any prosecutor that questions what I'm doing. There's not any regulating or license agency that's going to question what I do. So that, that's where I'd be w- with that. And I think his final, his final question was, uh, he's really interested in these comic books, and he'd like to know how to get into the business of comic books. Now, I'm not a comic book reader. I'm not a comic book expert. I don't even watch the movies that are out every two months about a comic book character. What I will say is I do have a comic book website that makes some money. And I do know a little bit about old comic books. I do know a little bit about new comic books. But I don't know enough about it to tell you, hey, this is how you make money in the comic book industry. But this is this, I, I'm not going to leave you empty-handed. What I would do is there's comic book shows, comic cons, and things like that. I have like two or three in my area. I can imagine, you know, where you live – might that might be the case as well. What I would do is go to a comic con. You don't have to go to the, I think the comic con is down in San Diego, but they have different branches of it. And I, and I think I even have ones that are not even affiliated with comic con. I think there's one even called Stockton con that I've even been to. And, you know, it's just like a card show, uh, or it's very similar to a card show. I actually think it's more fun than a card show. There's people that are dressed up. I see a far more diverse group of people there. When I go to a card show, it's men, that, and it's it's white men typically there. When I went to uh, the the Stockton Con, there were girl. There was probably half the half of it was girls. Okay, so there's females. There's different ages, old and young. Um. There's, you know, people, you know, you have autograph signings there. You have people selling comic books. You have people selling kind of the figurines and the Funkos and stuff like that. That's where I would start. 
I would first go to those. And honestly, you don't even have to talk to anybody. If you're somebody, you know, that doesn't, you know, if you're like me and you like to sit behind a microphone and just talk to yourself, you don't like to talk to other people. We, that's why we don't have interview guests on here. It's not that I don't want to talk to anybody. It's, it's, I don't find anybody really in this hobby that interesting. Okay. I can count on one hand, the people I would want on the show to interview. Okay. And for the most part, I've gone and talked to those people face-to-face um, and, and, and had good conversations with them. No need to bring them on the show. But um, I would go to a Comic-Con-like event and just walk around. Go look and see what people are buying. Go look to see what people are selling. Chances are what people have in their booth and that they're selling, they're probably making a profit on it or it sells. You're not going to go to, I mean, it's not like the national where you go and you kind of put up a booth and kind of show off. Maybe some of those guys do, but I would go and I would just listen. I think that's like the greatest way to learn about an industry is don't talk to anybody. Don't try to get advice. Just go and listen, listen to crowd noise. Just go to a comic con and, and observe Go see what people are interested in. Go see what people are excited about. Go see what people are, um, you know, gathered around. What booths have the most traffic? I would start there. And this goes for comic books. This goes for trade. Some of you guys that are listening might be new into trading cards, might be new into whatever it is. Might be new into stocks. We talk a lot about stocks, and I know a lot of people, you know, it takes years before you get comfortable with the stock market. At least that's what I feel. Uh, and I, I feel like it's a lifelong learning process. You're constantly learning about the stock market. So that, that's what I feel is go there and observe. Go there and see, go see commerce in action. Go see the buying and selling. And then while you're there too, if you can strike up a conversation with somebody, strike up a conversation, not only on the dealer side, come at it from the customer side as well too. Figure out why people are all dressed up and excited about the new comic book that's out or dressed up and excited about a comic book that's 30 or 40 years old. Figure out that market right there. And I think that will, will guide you to... Uh, where you need to go in, in the comic books. There's also some good information right off the top of my head. I think there's Universal Distribution or something like that. I think that's the company's name. It's a distributor of comic books and comic book related stuff. Uh, they put up a lot of good information on their website. I know this because I've taken the information that they've put up and I've written articles about it and written comic book content about it that actually has generated uh, quite a bit of money. And if I were to give you firsthand knowledge, set up a comic book website where you're talking about Walking Dead, you're talking about the old Spider-Mans, you're talking about Superman, you're talking about uh, Incredible Hulk, you're talking about the Wolverine, you're talking about the Punisher, you're talking about uh, you know whatever movie is out, whatever comic book, even the old ones. My, com- my comic book website tends to focus on the older, much older comic books. Talks about graded, com- you have CGC, I think, in the comic books. Um, You know, talk about them. You can talk about restoration of comic books. How that's actually a generally accepted thing. 
in the comic book industry. I don't care what Brent Mastro says. It's not really accepted in sports cards, at least not yet. And I don't think it should be. But in comic books, it generally is acceptable to do a good restoration. Now, there's bad restoration and times when you shouldn't restore a comic book, but it is something that is generally acceptable and something that happens. And when you have comic books with, you know, 20 or 30 pages and they're staples and they rip, you know, I can understand this, okay? But my final point is it's disclosed on the grading thing. It's not like restoring a quote unquote restoring or washing or pressing a trading card, sending it in a PSA and getting it graded PSA 8 with no qualifiers. On the CGC form, it literally tells you, oh, the staples were replaced, uh, portions of the cover had creases rubbed out and creases replaced or holes replaced or whatever. They literally tell you. Or, oh, there was pages missing and those were put back in, et cetera, et cetera. So there's where I'll leave you with those questions. I had a few more, but we're kind of running out of time here. Believe it or not, I have have things to do. Uh, So hopefully you guys are doing well out there. If you want to sue me, please don't threaten it. Stop threatening me with a lawsuit. Just stop. Just do it. Okay? A real fucking man would just do it. Somebody with a lawyer, with the money, would just do it. Okay? You don't just threaten a lawsuit, threaten a lawsuit, threaten a lawsuit. And even Brian Gray has even threatened a lawsuit from Panini to me. Just both of you guys, Panini and Brian Gray, go ahead and sue me. Go ahead and try to prove the damages that I have caused your precious little companies. Let's do it, guys. Let's get it done. If you think I sit behind my microphone and I'm an internet tough guy, I'm a Twitter tough guy, I'm a podcast tough guy, open invitation to all of you guys. I guarantee you every single one of you guys can get on a flight to Las Vegas. Okay, every airport in the country, major airport, semi-major airport, flies to Las Vegas or connects you to Las Vegas. From Las Vegas... You can fly directly into Stockton, California, and it'll drop you right into the ghetto. I mean, the whole city's ghetto, but, you know, there's, there's just different levels of it. The airport is like, on a scale, on a, you know, PSA, the, the airport's like a PSA 6 in terms of ghetto. I will meet you in the PSA fucking 10 ghetto of Stockton, California. And I will tell you directly to your face, you're fat, you're ugly, you collect pictures of men, you're a moron, you're broke, you're an idiot, you suck, etc., etc., etc. But quite frankly, quite frankly, I won't even have to get to that point. Because by the time I get there, you'll have been robbed, you'll been stabbed, you'll been shot, you'll been kidnapped, you'll been butt raped, all of the above. Before I even get there. Okay. Random crime happens in, Cal- in Stockton, California. And in California in general. That's why everywhere I go. My friend. My Glock 45. 
with a full magazine, believe it or not, uh, well, actually, the gun community wants me to stay, standard capacity magazine were actually legal in California for about three or four days. Not a lot of people know this. So it's actually legal for me to own a standard capacity magazine and carry a full-size Glock 45 on my hip. I am touching it right now. I carry that wherever I go. And if I go to San Francisco, if I go to LA, I'll be in Stockton tomorrow, actually, visiting a friend of mine. I avoid anywhere where I'm not supposed to carry it with me, and there are many places where you're not supposed to carry it. One of those places is the post office. I do not step foot in a post office anymore. I either leave the packages on my porch and the, the postman takes it away or the postwoman takes it away, or I go to one of the other fine establishments that has a UPS and a FedEx, and I take it there. I carry it wherever I go. But guess what? If you're flying in from out of state, guess what? It is not legal for you to bring your firearm and your ammunition into the state of California. So you'll be in the middle of the ghetto in Stockton, California, unarmed and unwilling and unable to protect yourself. So you guys can take that chance if you want. I personally, having grown up there and having visited there every, you know, every two or three months, I go there, still got family there, still have friends there. I would not take that chance. In fact, the last time I was there, I tried to find the nicest, I picked the nicest gas station. I literally planned it out. When I was going to Stockton, this was about a year ago, it was for a holiday. I think it was for Thanksgiving. I'm going to Stockton. I know I'm going to run out of, I'm not going to run out of gas, but I'm going to run low on gas. Okay. And there's, there's very few gas stations. I want to fill up gas in Stockton, California, but there's a couple which are in nice neighborhoods and nice, what I was consider nice parts of town. So I, I stopped there. I have my son and my wife there and I'm not out of the car for a second, and a guy with a nicer shirt than I have on, nicer clothes, comes up and starts asking me for money, starts telling me a sob story. And I'm like, dude, no thank you. And then a car starts peeling out in reverse. A car is going in reverse, and it's, it's going so fast, it's peeling out. And I say, I look up, and I'm like, that can't be normal. And my wife peeks her head out the window and says, he has a ski mask on. And that's all she had to say. I turned around and got in the car and got the fuck out of there. I left my credit card. I had to get on my app and cancel my credit card that I left in my machine. Okay, random shit, random stuff happens there. Every apartment I lived in, someone got shot. Okay, people wonder why I carry a gun with me everywhere I go. Everywhere I lived in Stockton, someone got shot. Okay, and it's not like I lived in the ghetto everywhere. So again, if you guys think I'm an uh, internet tough guy, a Twitter tough guy, a podcast tough guy, I don't have a ball sack, I, you know, well, prove to me that you have a ball sack. Come meet me face to face and we'll talk about it. I'm not going to go to the national 
God knows I'm not going to go to Atlantic City. God knows I'm not going to go to Cleveland. People from all over the world pay millions of dollars to come to California. Why would I pay to leave to go to Cleveland and Atlantic City? I briefly thought about going to Chicago this year only because there was a golf event two weeks before that I could have caddied in. But just having a new son, uh, you know, some things to do around my house, it just wasn't going to work out. So I thought briefly of comboing a caddy, being able to caddy in a golf event to coming down to the national decided not to do it. When I pulled out, that's when my brother decided, oh, doesn't sound like so much fun anymore. So I will say this to your face. I will say this to your lawyer's face. I will say this to anybody's face you want me to. You guys are broke. You guys are morons. You guys are idiots, period. And Brian Gray melted down on Twitter. Apparently, he's deleted his account and all that. The guy basically libeled himself. I mean, I can't tell you. There was like a dozen people or more that were like, I'm not buying Leaf product. You, you look like a fool. Okay, you guys can't do what I do. Newsflash, newsflash, I'm not selling anything on here. I don't run a company. I don't call Sports Card Radio a company, okay, because I don't make any money from it. Newsflash, if you run a trading card company, then you probably have to watch what you say. I am not in that boat. I don't need any of your guys' money. I don't want any of your guys' money. Believe me, there's a dozen industries I'd rather be in and making money than this one. Notice I have boxes of tops sitting here. I have tons of supplies. I could be advertising on here. Get your ultra pros for me. Get your tops boxes for me. Get this for me. Guys, I don't need your money. I don't need your business. I don't need your support. Okay. Amazon is the number one e-commerce site in all of the United States. Nobody in this industry cares Nobody in this industry talks about it, so that should tell you what a huge opportunity it is. So that's what I focus on, and I'll focus on that until uh, the water runs dry. And I think it's got a long ways to go. So hopefully you guys are doing all very well out there. Hopefully you guys enjoyed today's show, a little bit different. I talked about uh, the NFL rookies not being super hot. I want you guys to sleep on them. Go to sleep. You should have slept on Deshaun Watson and uh, the Kaiser kid out at Notre Dame. Uh, You guys should have slept on Mariota and Jameis Winston. You guys should have slept on everybody, every single, everybody except for probably Mahomes. And if you think you're going to play that game and pick the next Mahomes and pick the next Tom Brady, no, you're not, guys. No, you're not. Is there one guy, two guys, a Chiefs fan, a Patriots fan that did well? Yeah. But is there any dealer out there sitting on stacks of Mahomes and Brady's? No, they're not. So sleep on these rookies. I'd ignore all the group breaks. I'd ignore everything. Just ignore it all for a year. It's all going to be sitting there a year from now or six months from now or eight months from now for a lower price, period, end of story. DA Carworld almost scammed me out of $600, but they came through. I appreciate them, um, you know, addressing the situation. Once I escalated it, should I had to have escalated it? No. 
but I do appreciate it. And I did not get any feedback from anybody else that had the same problem. So it might've been an isolated problem. And it might be something that based on my situation, maybe they fixed down the road. And I hope that's the case if you happen to send boxes to them. Made a trip to Southern Hobby and probably did okay with that in terms of um, what I would have had to pay in terms of shipping that stuff to me. So think about that when you're running a business. Maybe there's some ways. And look, I just did it for fun, okay? I didn't do it because it's like, oh, this is going to make me 12 extra dollars. No, it's a way for my, my wife and I to go to South Lake Tahoe, get it. There's a great pizza. There's a couple of good places to eat, but there's a great pizza place there. We love to eat there. We love to just walk around. South Lake Tahoe is beautiful, uh, especially this time of year. I mean, I, don't, I would never go. I'm not a skier or want to drive up there. God knows I wouldn't want to drive on those roads in the snow. Um, so, you know, I bought a four-wheel drive, you know, and the tires on my car are huge. I hope I never get a pun- Knock on wood, I don't get a puncture or anything like that. Um, I told you about the top-end Bowman cards. Ronald Lacuna's were 25 Okay. If you have to pay $10 for a Wander Franco, uh, yeah, he's going to have to hit a lot of fucking home runs for you to make any money off that. So I don't know if there's a lot of money to be made there. And again, this might be on the base up, maybe with his autographs and things like that. Maybe with the parallels, there's a little more upside there. But with this base stuff, if, if, you know, if the top, top MLB guy, hottest guy on the, on a real popular team is $25, do you think I really want to be buying a lot for, uh, you know, even half that cost? No. I want to be in that $2 range. And finally, we had some listener questions where we kind of talked about politics. And I think you guys know, if you've been listening to the show, yes, I do support Donald Trump. Of course I do. Do I support every Republican? No. Some of these guys are fucking idiots. In fact, most of them are. Do... Could I support Democrats now and in the future? Yes. Oh my God, yes. If they went back to the Bill Clinton Democrat, okay? Bill Clinton was, you know, watch old speeches of Bill Clinton and watch speeches of Trump. I mean, the guys are almost identical, okay? In terms of the, you know, not identical in terms of their delivery and their style, but in their policy, 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 policy. Very, very, very similar. So yeah, if Bill Clinton Democrats start coming out of the woodwork and start promoting those kind of policies, sure, I'd vote for some of them. I might even campaign for some of them. Because what I care about is policy. I don't care what's tweeted. I don't care what the New York Times says. I don't care how crazy Trump is. I watched his show. Okay, I know the guy's a little crazy. I care about policy, policy, policy. And quite frankly, the Democrat candidates, uh, outside of probably Biden, I think if Biden gets the nomination and wins, it's going to be business as usual in Washington, which means the rich get richer and the poor get handouts and welfare. I'll say that again. If Joe Biden wins or any Democrat that's like him wins, it's business as usual in Washington, D.C. The rich will get richer and the poor and lazy and unskilled will get handouts and welfare. Period. End of story. 
So there's nothing to be scared of in that sense. Elizabeth Warren, I'm not scared of her. I'm not, uh, you know, terrified by her. Or, But her policies are different, okay? And you don't know how different or what their effect will be until they play out. But what I do know is different brings some uncertainty. And especially how different hers have been from really any other president. Okay, Obama wasn't, uh, you know, Obama, the rich got richer and the poor got handouts and welfare. The same thing happened under George Bush. The same thing happened under Bill Clinton. The same thing happened under George Sr. and going back and down the line. That's about the, you know, the presidents I remember. Elizabeth Warren is quite a bit different. Okay, so, you know. Things could change. And look, things could change for the better. I don't know. I, you know I'm not, not going to sit here and say I, I, I know for certain on these things. I just know it would bring uncertainty, and it would definitely bring uncertainty the, to the business world, and that can trickle down uh, to all sorts of parts of the economy. So it'd be interesting. I, I'll be honest with you. It'd be freaking interesting to see. Would I want all my money in stocks? Would I want to be, uh, you know... Um, you know, have a bunch of assets that can be tracked? No, I wouldn't. Would I go out and buy a bunch of guns and ammunition? Probably so, because uh, shit might start going down. But uh, uh, hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. If it's legal to conceal carry in your state, and it is for most states, you probably should do that. That's the last thing I'll leave you with. Because when bullets are flying your way or at your children's way or at your family's way, your iPhone and the police are not, trust me, are not going to be there to help you. And a real man or a real man protects himself and protects his family. Going and voting Democrat, going and voting for somebody that wants to take your guns away is not going to stop a criminal from getting a gun. It's not going to stop a criminal from committing a crime on you. So if voting makes you feel safer, if voting for Democrats makes you feel safer, go ahead and do that. I will tell you from my experience That doesn't do anything. And a real man would protect himself and protect his family. So we'll leave you with that. Hopefully you guys are doing well out there. We'll be back some other time, some other place. Maybe we'll have a lawsuit to talk about. But we'll see. Until then, we are out of here.